Lord, I do pray, we pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Kevin. It's good to be with you to worship the Lord this morning. So I want to share with you um, about two churches that I got to go into in the last few months. A couple weeks ago, I was at a class um, at Neshota Seminary, um, and they have a chapel, and we would go to chapel in the morning and in the evening before and after class. And gradually, the more you were in this chapel, you began to realize this really amazing thing about the architecture. You would look up, and the more you looked at it, you realized that the ceiling was built like the hull of a ship. And I I didn't realize this, but this is something that churches have done for a very long time as they built the building to seem like a ship in some way. Um, And so there was another church that we uh, went to, Travis, Andrea, Katie, and I, when we were in Israel. It's in Galilee. It's in a little town called Magdala. This is amazing. They've just found this town in the recent years. It's the hometown of, of Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, right. So they built a church in this little town, and you go in the church, and the altar of the church is a boat. And behind the boat is a glass wall that looks out on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's so remarkable to stand in this place. Eventually, we're going to start talking about taking a trip to Israel. I'm trying to get you ready so that you're going to want to sign up when we do that. Here's the reason I'm, I'm sharing these things with you. One of the oldest and most powerful images that Christians and the church have had to understand themselves, to understand our life in the world, especially the challenges we face, is the image of a ship or a boat that is setting sail through the ocean of the world. And the ocean, we know, is sometimes smooth, but more often than not, it is treacherous. It is unpredictable, and unseen storms come upon us. Isn't isn't that life? Don't you have unseen storms that come into your life? Don't you find that more often than not, your life feels like um, you wish there were smoother waters, (laughs) right? And it's not hard to imagine where this image comes from. So our passage today is one place. Three of our gospel writers record a version of this story. This was a very important story in the life of Christians. But this isn't the only place the image comes from. Another place is from the Old Testament story of Noah's Ark. So the church began to think of itself from very early on as a kind of ark that seeks to bring us into the safe harbor of God's kingdom. And at baptisms, maybe you've noticed this, we pray at every baptism that those baptized may be delivered from destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. This story of the disciples and the treacherous sea, 
It was a story that they didn't even realize the full import of it until a long while later. Until Jesus had ascended and they were facing the storms of the world. And in some ways, he, it, you couldn't see him in the, those storms of the world. And so this story is recorded as a, a real story of what happened to them. But it's also a story for the disciples and for us of what it means to face the storms of the world. And one of the things I want to challenge you with this morning that I'm going to talk about is there is no hope in your life for you to face the storms of the world unless you are keeping your eyes in the right place. And the right place is not on the storm itself. I love the passage that Indy read from us from uh, Jonah chapter 2, where Jonah says that those who place their hope in vain idols abandon their hope for salvation. Listen, I, I know that many of us are coming here from different places. Some of us are struggling with whether we believe in God. Some of you aren't even wrestling with that very much. You might just have a, a sense that this isn't for you. And what I want to offer up to you is there is no other hope in the world than the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the only one that can offer you hope in the midst of the storms of your life. So that's what I want to talk to you about. So I want to look at the story with the hindsight. We say that hindsight is twenty-twenty, right? Well, the disciples could see things in this story that they couldn't see when it was happening. Later, they were able to see things. And I want to look at it with that hindsight. So the story begins with Jesus making the disciples get into a boat and leave while he dismisses crowds. It's the crowds that he had taught, healed, and fed with manna in the wilderness in the story last week. So Jesus then goes up on a mountain to be alone in prayer. And while Jesus is praying, the disciples start to have this awful time on the sea with the winds and the waves conspiring against them. And this alone, I want to pause here for a moment, because this alone is a striking moment when you consider it from hindsight. It's a foretaste of what the disciples would experience after Jesus' ascension, and it is a picture of what we experience right now. In the story, Jesus is not physically present to the disciples. Does that mean that Jesus does not care about them? That he's forgotten about them or he's unaware of the suffering that they're going through? No. And it's the same for us. Right now, Jesus may to all appearances be absent, but he's actually in the presence of God right now. And Hebrews tells us that he is on the holy mountain of God, the heavenly Mount Zion, and actually, he's still praying. Just like he was in that story, Jesus is currently praying. Hebrews says he is living to intercede for us. Meanwhile, we're in a boat on the stormy sea of the world and of our lives. Some of us are taking on water in our boat, right? When you look back 
on church history, there are very few eras when the waters have been calm. And I would not say that the waters are calm right now in our lives, are they? In the life of the church? And it is the case that more often than not, the church and God's people face tumultuous waters. Sadly, we have to confess, sometimes the church helps to create the tumultuous waters. What do we do? Well, if we stick with our picture of being in a boat on the water, jumping ship probably is not the best option. I want to discourage you from jumping ship. The story tells us that in the fourth watch of the night, which, by the way, that means it's the darkest point in the night. It's the point right before the dawn, and he comes walking to them on the sea. At first, they're only more afraid. Isn't this remarkable that God's first appearance can make us more afraid than comforted? They don't realize who it is, but Jesus calls out to them and he says, take heart or take courage is another way of saying this. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, Jesus' words here, it is I, it's really easy to take for granted the significance of these simple words. The words are ego, I, me. Can you say ego, I, me? Yeah, this is where Lego comes from. Ego, right? No. These are the words for I am. It's me. I am. Jesus here is using the name that God gave to Moses in the book of Exodus. God has told Moses to deliver the children of Israel from slavery and Egypt. And Moses says, well, God, please do tell. Who do I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Which admittedly is a really strange name, isn't it? But its strangeness is actually part of the point. You see, if God gave us a name for himself that was like any of our names, we would put him in a box just like we do each other, wouldn't we? Part of the point of the strangeness is that God is saying he is beyond us and he is beyond our comprehension in every way. In every way. His greatness, his power, and also his fierce devotion. He is beyond us. His name is capturing his uniqueness. I am who I am. You know, in the gospel passage last week, as I said, Jesus showed the disciples that he could provide manna in the wilderness like God did in the Old Testament. Here, he comes treading on the waves, which is an Old Testament picture of God. And... He uses God's name. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is trying to convince the disciples, and I want to suggest to you, He's also trying to convince you, beyond any shadow of doubt, that He is the God of Israel. He is the God who hovered over the watery chaos in the beginning and spoke order into the creation and beauty. 
He is the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, who parted the Red Sea so that they could walk across on dry land and destroyed their enemies. And he is the God who miraculously fed his people and sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. But on top of that, he's also Emmanuel, the God who's come to be with us. He's not just powerful and transcendent. He is also imminent and near. Jesus tells these disciples to take courage, not to be afraid, even though the waves are still thrashing against the boat. Listen, I want to make sure that you hear this. It's, Jesus is trying to prove a point. The reason he doesn't stop the storm immediately as he, as he comes is he wants the disciples to know the storm is not the problem. Your fear that you give to the storm, that's the problem. What you need to do is to look at me in the midst of the storm. Stop looking at the storm. The waves are not the problem. You need to look in the right place. I'd really like all of us to hear this today, this, this part. If you haven't listened up until now, will you just listen for a minute? Where does real courage and strength come from? It does not come from yourself. It does not come from having a right mindset about yourself. It does not come from self-esteem. Or because you're so strong and so smart. Real courage has to be borrowed. It has to come from God. From His voice in your life telling you, it's me. Don't be afraid. I am. Our psalm is actually very helpful here. So Psalm 29 begins in what I think is a really strange way. It begins by saying, Ascribe to the Lord, O you mighty. Ascribe to the Lord worship and strength. O you mighty, ascribe to the Lord worship and strength. How do we think about the mighty today in our world? Who do we imagine to be mighty? We tend to think of the mighty, I think, maybe this is confession on my part, we tend to think of the mighty as those who don't need any help. Who are so strong they can do everything on their own. The people at work who have it all together. Or in school, it's the all-around athletes who are also really smart. They just seem to be able to do it all. They can dunk the basketball and they can hit home runs. Who are these freaks? What, why is this? We want politicians who are mighty, don't we? But the Bible is giving a very different def definition of what it means to be mighty. It's saying that the real mighty ones among us, the real courageous ones, are those who ascribe power to God and receive strength. From him. The last verse of our psalm says, The Lord shall give strength to his people. The Lord shall give his people the blessing of peace. I really hope that you are not looking to other places to receive strength 
and peace. I hope that your attention is not captivated by the waves of the world. And if it is, I hope that you would be willing to tell God that and to say, I want to turn my attention to you. Jesus is riding over the waves of the world. (laughs) He's walking on top of them. He's not worried about them. I hope you're not worried. I know, looking at them, it's very worrying. I, I, I get it. All of us are vulnerable to that. So Peter, he hears Jesus say, it is I, take courage. And he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. That's pretty courageous, isn't it? A moment ago, the boat's taking on water and they're terrified. And immediately he hears the words of Jesus and says, if it's you, command me to come out there with you, which is weird. And, but that's, what, that's the kind of fervor that Jesus wants of us. Come, let's go be with Jesus wherever he is. Jesus tells Peter to come, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks to Jesus. And the way that the scriptures say it, it's as if Peter gets all the way to Jesus, and then he sees the wind again. And it's this classic moment, something that happens to a lot of us. Have you ever decided you were going to go on a grand adventure, take a huge risk of faith, do something crazy? And you decide to do it, and then halfway through, you start thinking, like, in a wise way again. And you're like, what am I doing? That's, that's, that happens in the spiritual life, too. We have some experience with God, and we're like, God, I think you want me to do something crazy. And then we start out, and we get a little ways along, and we're like, oh, no. What am I doing? So Peter gets distracted and he sees the waves and he begins to sink and then he cries out to Jesus to save him. And you really do have to imagine in this moment that Peter could literally, he he could immediately sink and be lost. But Jesus immediately, he reaches down his hand and he grabs Peter and lifts him up. And I love what one person said about this story. He said, first comes the deliverance, then the gentle rebuke. And that, perhaps with a smile on his face and love in his voice. Jesus calls Peter by this one word, little faith. (laughs) Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And in that, Jesus is just saying, you don't have to doubt anymore. Anytime you ask me to save you, I'm there. I love you. I will not abandon you to the waves. Peter and Jesus get in the boat and finally, this and only now do the winds die down. Only now. And the story closes with the disciples realizing to a greater degree than they ever have before who Jesus really is. They worship him and they say, truly, you are the son of God. In other words, truly, you are the mighty one. You are the great I am. No one can save us 
from the storms of the world except God. The God who has come to be with us and to save us. Are you, in the midst of the storms that you're facing and in the midst of the storms that all of us are aware of in the world, are you worshiping Him in this way? When you do that scroll through the news, do you worship Him in this way? And trust that somehow, all those headlines that you're reading, Jesus is walking on those waves. And He's saying, It is I. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.